So I get a letter uh, a couple weeks ago from the National Environmental Satellite. Sounds very official. I thought, what in the world is this letter? The National Environmental Satellite. And I open up the letter, and it's a confirmation. It's a confirmation that I have um, registered uh, this handheld device, and it is called like an EPIRB. They can locate me. And so if I'm out in the Gulf of Mexico and I'm sinking in the boat, you push the right button. In fact, if you push that button right there, right now, we'll actually have a helicopter hover over Harborside. And so I won't push any buttons, okay? But there's a confirmation. I was glad to get that confirmation in the mail. We like confirmation. How many of you are going out shopping on uh, Good, on, on, not Good Friday, Black, uh, Black, that was funny too, Black Friday. How about, it's not Good Friday, it's Black Friday. I'm going out. How many of you going to go out on, good, on Black Friday? All right. So you're going to go buy something and you will get a receipt. And what's the purpose of the receipt? It's a, it's a confirmation, right? How about Cyber Monday? Are you a Cyber Monday kind of person? How many of you will buy stuff on Cyber Monday? All right? So you'll get a confirmation by email, right? If you bought Delta plane tickets, you want a confirmation if you spent twelve or fifteen hundred bucks for your family, you definitely want a confirmation from, from, from Delta, right? Well, it's exactly the same way with God. You ever thought about this? Wherever there is an operation, look at this little sentence up here. Wherever there is an operation for God, there you will discover a confirmation from God. You will see that through the entire Bible. I want you to focus on that sentence, if you would, for just a minute. Say this out loud with me. Here we go. Where there is an operation for God, you will discover a confirmation from God. Let's say that again one more time. Where there is an operation for God, you will discover a confirmation from God. You see that all throughout the scriptures. Abraham. Abraham, I want you to leave your home, leave your land. I want you to go to a foreign country, and I want you to start this new nation. I'm going to build a great nation through you. Twenty-five years later, we finally had the confirmation in a small child by the name of Isaac. Noah, what was Noah to do? Noah, I'm sorry that I've made mankind. There's not going well. I'm going to start all over again. I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. And for 120 years, Noah built an ark. Can you imagine that? 120 years, Noah builds this boat. And the confirmation finally comes 120 years later when it began to rain. You look throughout the entire scriptures. Wherever there is an operation for God, you will always find a confirmation from God. Now, you're in this story you're in this because there's operations that God wants you to be a part of, but he'll also give you the confirmation, and that's where we're headed this morning. So last week, we were in Matthew chapter 16. It's my favorite place in all of Israel. It's a place called Caesarea Philippi, and in Caesarea Philippi, it is a place laced with gods. At the top of this great big mountain, of this rock, is a white marble temple. And the white marble temple was built by Herod the Great uh, to honor Caesar Augustus. There are 14 Syrian gods and altars inside of the rocks. And then there's this huge hole to the god Pan. This was a kind of a, a Greek god. And so in this area, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, that's right. And that wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father revealed that to you in heaven. And then Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. 
and not even the gates of Hades will prevail against it. So there was an operation for God. We're going to build a church, and we're going to build churches. And the confirmation, you see the confirmation everywhere today. How else can you explain the fact that there are churches today in Iran, in Iraq, in Afghanistan? How can we explain the fact that there are churches today all over the world in communist Cuba, communist Korea, communist China? There are churches all over the world. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. That's my operation. And the confirmation is so evident today that we see it everywhere how he is building local churches. What is Jesus doing today? He is raising up and establishing biblically functioning communities all over the world. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. And so last week, it was the operation. I am the Son of God, and I am going to build my church. Today, it's a very fascinating passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 17 where we see the confirmation. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, and we'll look at verse 1. We'll just start right there in verse 1 and kind of go through this. It says, after six days. Now, what, what, what's the six days? Well, this is six days since they've made the profession of faith that you're the Christ, that you're the Son of the living God. That's the operation. Today, you're going to see the confirmation. And you know that takes place in your life, too, because God's called you to be a part of different things. And after he's called you to be a part of something, it may take a while. It took 25 years for Isaac. It took 120 years to build the ark. You don't have 120 years, but but it took a while, didn't it? And see, that's the tension. The tension is when God calls you to do something, the operation, and when it actually gets confirmed, that's where the faith has to take place. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Why Peter, James, and John? I don't know. I really don't know. Same guys that were there in the garden. Did Jesus want them around him? Did did he think these were the leaders of the leaders? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. We're not really sure. What's the high mountain? There were two mountains in that area. One was Mount Tabor, which was 1,900 feet. The other one was Mount Hermon. Most people think this is Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon was 9,300 feet. The story probably takes place at night. Probably at night because what Jesus is about to do is he's about to unzip himself and they will see incredible glory at night. Look at verse 2. There he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So basically, here's what Jesus does. It's not a reflection of the glory of God. It's a radiation from within. I use the word unzip. It's like Jesus Christ unzips himself, and his glory just comes flying out of him. And it's a glorious night. It's a beautiful picture. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. Now just remember this. Where there is an operation for God, you will discover a confirmation from God. Now I don't know everybody in this room. I think I would like everybody in the room, okay? Most of you look kind of normal, all right? But here's what I do know. I do know this. I do know that God has called every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to be a part of the local church. 
And he's, he's called you to be a part of the local church because he has an operation. Jesus said in the last chapter, not even the gates of Hades are going to prevail against the church. Nothing can stop the church. Nobody can stop the church. I know we're kind of freaked out right now, you know, in our world, and we look around our world, and, and it's not a real safe place. But let me tell you this. The safest place to be is always in the center of God's will. If you're in the center of God's will, you are in the safest place you could possibly be. Now, if you are not in God's will, it doesn't matter if you're locked up into Fort Knox. You're not safe. But the safest place to be is for every believer to be a part of the operation that God has called us to be. I don't know what he's called you to do. I don't have to know. I just know what he's doing. He's building his local churches all over the world. And he's calling you and he's calling me to be a part of it. And we all play a significant role within a local church. And so he comes to you and he challenges you and he stretches your faith and he asks you to do something or to be something or to go somewhere. Again, I don't know what that is for you. I don't need to know. You know because the Holy Spirit's already revealed that ding, 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 ding inside of you. And again, when there's that incredible operation, if I'm faithful, if I step up to the plate, eventually I will have that confirmation. And for some of you in this room, you know what that's like, because God's called you to do something or to be something, and you've said yes, and your faith just grew a little bit stronger. And again, time goes by. He calls you to do something. Or you want me to teach three-year-olds? God, are you kidding? You want me to attend a connect group? God, are you kidding? You want me to give a, a bicycle to the family, the little boy across? I don't even like the little boy across the street. And you want me to give a bicycle to the little boy across the street? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. You want me to be baptized? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I want you to be baptized. Where there is an operation for God, eventually, if you're loyal, if you're faithful, there is a confirmation that comes from your Heavenly Father. And you know that you did the right thing. You know it was Him. And you know you're safe because you're in the center of God's will. I was one block from the Brooklyn Bridge when all hell broke loose in 9-11. I was right there. I was in the safest place in the entire world because I was in the center of God's will, okay? When it's your time to go, you're going to go. It doesn't matter where you are. But if it's not your time to go and you're safely in God's will, you're going to be well protected. Look at verse 3. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah. Now, this, is, this, is, this story gets better. Moses has been dead for 1,400 years. Elijah vanished 900 years ago. What are they talking about? Can you imagine this? Moses, Elijah, Jesus having a theological discussion? I can't imagine what they were talking about, but I would love to have been a fly on that mountain, wouldn't you? And listen to the theology of those three guys. Wow. Jesus, Moses, Elijah. Why Mo? Why Elijah? Well, Moses represents the, the law. And Elijah represents all of the prophets. I'm looking at the very next verse, verse 4. It will make more sense. Verse 4 says this. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, now this appears like Peter again has no filters, 
This appears again like Peter's stumbling. That's really not what happens here. I've always thought that. But Peter's not the village idiot in this story. He is in other stories, but he's not in this story. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one one for you and one for Moses and and one for Elijah. And and really what Peter's saying here is, if I put up a shelter, you're going to stay. If I put up a shelter, you're going to hang out. And I want things to remain the same. I don't want any changes in my life. I want everything to remain exactly the same because I like the law and I like the prophets and I don't know where this whole Jesus thing's going, but I like Moses and I like Elijah and I put my flag in the ground. So Peter's saying basically what most of us say is, I like my old shoes. I like my old suit. I like my old whatever. I don't want to change. I don't want to grow. I don't want anything new. And God is always coming to you, stretching you. You will all, if you stay in the center of God's will, if you stay in the center of the fairway, God is always going to come to you again and again and again and stretch your faith. And so really what Peter's saying here is, is I like the law. I get the law. I'm not sure I get all this stuff that Jesus is teaching. And I love the prophets. Oh, I love the prophets. Can we just hang out here? I'll just make three shelters. I'll make one for you, Jesus. I'll make one for Moses. I'll make one for Elijah. I don't want any change in my life. Y'all aren't breathing out there, right? You know why? Because that's what we think is best for us. That's not what's best for you. What's best for you is is what Jesus is getting ready to say. Look at verse 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. So Peter wants to stay with the status quo. He doesn't want to change. He wants to stay with the law. He wants to stay with the prophets. But a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, my friends... You can stay with that which doesn't work. You can continue to repeat the things that everybody in self-help shelves, the self-help shelves are so full, these bookstores, it's it's not funny. But I'm telling you, what's going to change your life is a dynamic, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will flat change you from the inside out and change you from the outside in. Everything in your life changes with Jesus. And God says, listen to him. Now, it's not that Jesus was against the law and against the prophets. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. Don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. But now I am making everything new, and there's a new way to the Father. There's a new relationship with God that only Christ will bring. Look at the next verse, verse 6. When disciples heard this, They fell face down to the ground, terrified. Well, of course they did. You hear the voice of God, you're going to be freaked out too, right? I mean, mean, none of us can even imagine hearing the voice of God. Listen to him. This is my boy, and we're getting ready to make some great strategic changes. And verse 7 says this, but Jesus came and he touched them. And I love that because that's what he's done for me. He's touched me. And that's what he's done for you. He's touched you. And he will come to every single one of us, and he'll give us this operation for him, 
and to be a part of his work and his stuff. And then he comes when we think we can't do it and it's too big for us and we're not holy enough and we're not gifted enough, we're not smart enough, we're not rich enough. And he comes to us and he touches us. He touched Peter, James, and John because they were going to need it with all the hardships and the difficulties they were going to face, just like you and just like me. I need that touch. Jesus came and he touched them. And he's telling you to get up. He's telling you to get up and get on with the things that he's trying to do for us in our lives. Don't be afraid. Now, this next slide is going to show you a bunch of different ways that God reveals himself. When you look throughout Scripture, there's about 16 different ways that I can come up with that God has chosen to reveal himself. God has revealed himself through sometimes just dictation. He's revealed himself through dreams. He's revealed himself through the casting of lots. He's revealed himself through an audible voice. He's revealed himself through angels and prophets. He's given several object lessons throughout Scripture. God has revealed himself through the Urim and the Thummim. And if you don't know what that is, go look that up. That's a very fascinating discussion really about lights, theophanies, uh, performing miracles. Remember he wrote on the wall one time? Remember that in the book of Daniel? He writes on the wall. Talk about getting shook. He writes on the wall and everybody just passes out about. And he reveals himself through Jesus Christ. And so today, he reveals himself to you through Jesus. Look at verse 8. Let's go to Matthew 17, verse 8. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain. Now, so they've had this experience. Six days ago, they were told that Jesus was the Christ. Six days ago, they were told that he was going to build his church and nothing was going to be able to prevent it. And then he uses the term gates of Hades because Hades contained everybody. That's where the place of the departed, you die, you go to Hades. Nobody gets out of Hades. Jesus says, I am. Nobody broke free from Hades. Jesus said, I will. Nobody ever came back from the dead. Jesus said, I will. And so now on the way down, this is, this is now the confirmation. The disciples are going, huh? I, I, okay, let's piece all this together. I love this. The disciples are going, I thought, well, Anyway, he said, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anybody what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Look at verse 10. The disciples asked him, well, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? On the way down, they're piecing this together. This is a great question. Jesus, Malachi says that before the Savior comes, Elijah will come back. And what Jesus is getting ready to communicate is Elijah's already come. He came in the power and the spirit of John the Baptist. That's why J the B came. John came to proclaim the Messiah is coming and get ready. And so they're asking all the right questions. Look at the next verse, verse 11. And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. And here's, here's the reference in Malachi. This was now 400 years before this scene. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And so the disciples, Peter, James, John, they're asking the right questions. It's great. Go back to Matthew now, if you would. And Jesus said, but I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then verse 13 says this. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now, I don't want to lose you for the next two minutes, but I want to show you something between John the Baptist and Elijah that maybe you've never seen before. 
And this is why John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the prophet Elijah. Look, at, I got seven of these real quick. Elijah was a man noted as being full of zeal for God. So was John. Elijah boldly rebuked sin in high places. So did John. Elijah called sinners and compromisers to a decision of repentance. So did John. Elijah attracted multitudes in his day, as did John. Elijah attracted the attention, the fury of a king and his wife. John did also. Elijah fled to the wilderness. John lived there also. Elijah lived in a corrupt time and was used to restore a failing spiritual life. So did John. And so on the way down the mountain, they're figuring this out. Oh, that's why John was the voice in the wilderness of one calling out, make straight the way of the Lord. Oh, and so they're, they're kind of going, it's kind of like a eureka moment. And so now they're coming down the mountain. It was a strange night, friends. Strange night. Maybe it's Mount Hermon. Maybe they're 9,300 feet up in the air. And all of a sudden, you know, these three guys see Jesus in amazing glory. His face... His clothes were as white. It's night. I use the expression, Jesus basically unzips himself, and he shows them his amazing glory. Isn't that really what we're to do today? To reflect the Lord's glory? Isn't that really the purpose of your life? And the sooner that you figure out that life's not about you, And the sooner you figure out who are you going to make famous, then you've really got some of the most important discussion questions in your life figured out. Most of us work so hard at making ourselves famous, but the scriptures and the gospel tell us that we are to make God famous and we are to bring God this like amazing glory because that's who we're called to be like. And that's who we, we emulate. And so about 35 years after this story, Simon Peter writes this. He's an old man. About 35 years later, as an old man, he writes these words out of Second Peter chapter 1. And, and he's telling the people this, this story that took place like 35 years ago on this mountain. He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from that majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice. I love that. We ourselves heard this voice. We ourselves heard this voice. It came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We heard the voice of God on that sacred mountain. And you know what it did? It changed their lives forever. The three go back and tell the eight, Judas Iscariot, we lost Judas. Three, eight, add one. The 12 now go to the 120 in the upper room. The 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people became Christians. Day after that, 5,000 people became Christians. And within a matter of just a couple of hundred years, the gospel goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And within 300 years, the gospel traveled 1,500 miles 
to the city of Rome, the very city that was responsible for crucifying Jesus Christ on, on a cross. And, and the very city now, it, it upholds Christianity as the state religion. Unbelievable. Jesus said it. I'm going to build my church. Nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to keep it from growing. Nobody is going to keep my gospel from spreading. It's still what he's doing today. That's not the question. The question is, are you a part of it? There's an operation from God. And there's an operation for God. And I know what he's done to every one of us in this room. He's called you to become a player. He's called you to become a part of a local church. If you're out of town or if you don't like our church, go to another church. I'm serious. But get engaged. Get involved. Get in the game. Because here's what happens collectively. When we all work and serve and use our spiritual gifts together, when when we all pray about something, we all give about something, we all serve about something. Just think about it. Collectively, we can do together so much more synergistically than anybody could ever do alone. And so we come together corporately. There's a corporate side to this. There's a corporate side to the glory of God because we come together and we dial in to children's ministry and we dial in to student ministry. And we dial into the problems, and we dial into prevention, and we do these things that together you could never do as, a, as an individual. I don't care how smart you are or how gifted you are, together we can do something that nobody else can do. And by the way, you've noticed this. The church is different than the world. Because out in the world, if there's an operation, there's no guarantee of a confirmation. In business, you've raised somebody up to take over, and they go take another job somewhere else. There's no guarantee in the, in the secular world. But in the church, where there is an operation, there will always be this confirmation from God. And so the question is, what's he calling you to do? What's he calling you to be? Collectively, we're so much better off together. One of the things that we started about four and a half years ago was our beach baptism services. And they're just the coolest thing in the whole world. And many of you have seen our um, videos of that. And I just want to kind of tell you how that even got started. It's really kind of an interesting story. Back in that day, four and a half, five years ago, we, we just had two services. Life was easier then. We just had two services. And um, I'd finished preaching. Danita was down here on the front row. I'd finished preaching second service. Didn't even do it in first service. And I go and I sit down, and we have a song. And by the way, the purpose of a song after a message is not for some of you to beat the Baptist to chilies. Okay? I'll buy your lunch if it's really that important to you. The, the purpose of the song at the end is for you to kind of take everything you've just heard and say, Heavenly Father, what is it you want me to do in light of this? So if you leave during a song, I'm not the song Nazi, but I'm just telling you, you're cheating yourself, okay? You're missing it. And so we, I, I preached, and I went and sat down, and there was a song then, and then I was getting ready to come back up and wrap up the service. And so Danita's down here, and she said, I think you should invite people to go to honeymoon with us this afternoon. We're going at 5 o'clock. She said, maybe somebody would like to be baptized. 
I said, Danita, that's not how we roll around here. That's not, we don't do that. That's, that's calling an audible, and that's not what we do. She said, I think it's a good idea. I said, it's, it's not a good idea. She said, I think it's a good idea. And by the end of the conversation, I thought it was a great idea, okay? It was a great idea for my wife. So I come up here, you know, I've got about this much faith, you know, and I come up here and I said, oh, look, you know, we're going to be at Honeymoon at five o'clock tonight, so-and-so place, you know, if anybody wants to join us, great. And I close out the service. Well, five people showed up and said, we'd like to be baptized. We baptized five people, our very first beach baptism, uh, four and a half or five years ago. But what was funny about that is so we stayed and we were playing on the beach there, just the t- two of us. I think, I think a couple of the children were with us. And another couple that we didn't know were like 100 yards away watching us. They're from Harborside, and they're watching us like, are these people real? Are they legitimate? Are they crazy or whatever? And so after about an hour and a half, they walk over and introduce themselves and say, hey, we, we go to Harborside, and we'd like to be baptized also. Is it too late? I said, no, it's not too late. I'm thinking this was a really good idea. That's how it all got started. You see, when the church comes together, it's like the wedding chapel. We're building a wedding chapel to teach God's plan A for marriage. We're going to try to do something. We're going to do something for marriage that I don't know of any other. We're going to get real serious about premarital counseling, postmarital counseling, a year-long education classes that we're going to offer people for free. Because we want to make a difference. But we, we can do things together. You know what we can do as a church? As a church, we, we, can, we can teach plan A. As a church, we come together and gain strength from each other. And we can always lift up what God's plan A is when it comes to friendships, when it comes to money, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to sexual integrity. We can always lift up together we're strong. Together, we stand together, and and we're able to do great, great things. So there's a corporate side to this, but there's also a a real personal side. And the personal side is how God's growing you because you're reflecting his glory. And look at this verse out of 2 Corinthians 3. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so what God is doing today is he is working inside of you to transform you. And so again, the question would be is, where is he working on you? Your anger? Alcohol? Sexual integrity? Where is the Heavenly Father working on the inside of you so that you can reflect more and more of his great glory and of his honor? Listen to what Revelation chapter 1 says. Great passage of Scripture. Revelation 1 says this. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like white as wool, and as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. 
I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and forever. And I hold the keys of death. And I hold the keys of Hades. We're going to do a song right now. Just be seated and look at the words on the screen about transfiguration. And ask yourselves, corporately and personally, where is God transforming me?
stand with me? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. I'm going to read from Revelation 19. Watch the screen with me if you would. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Say that with me. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Again, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who we worship, and we reflect his glory. I want to ask you today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, to come down front and commit your life to him. If you've never been baptized, it's a great opportunity for you to say, tell me about it. How can I be be baptized? Where corporately is God calling you, giving you an operation? I don't know when the confirmation will come. It'll come. Where is God personally calling you to to be transformed? There's an operation going on inside your mind, your will, and your emotions. And he will bless you and bless you and bless you because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only true God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen.